1: I'm doing good, Pam. How about yourself? I'm good. Do you ever have conversations with our survivors? And one question that comes up often, um, all the time, the same question pops up.
0: You know, um, I would say absolutely. Yes. And this actually goes back to my previous life days at one of the local cancer institutions here in town. And it's, and you know, one of the things I know, um, we're very excited about to address this issue um, that centers around something that we're all um, shall we say addicted to in one form or fashion or another right
1: right you know and oftentimes i hear from survivors well i read this article or i googled um and i found out that sugar feeds
0: cancer yes yeah sugar oh. sugar, sugar, sugar avoid it at all costs right
1: yeah, and I guess when I think of sugar, I think of um, sugary drinks, table sugar, but, you know, I'm really excited about today's um, guest, and yep. um, hopefully she can um, answer the question.
0: I, I think so. You know, we committed to our listeners uh, to ask the hard questions and get answers to the hard questions, and so that's really why we're doing today's podcast, why we do all of our podcasts, quite frankly. But this this podcast is a really, really good one um, to ask that hard question. And we are super excited. This is somebody, Pam, I know uh, you and I have secretly stalked for some time and listened to uh, uh, some of her um, uh, podcasts, read some of her blogs to help answer that question. Uh, but we actually have uh, someone that that is named the Cancer Dietitian. And, uh, you know, we work with a couple of great dietitians, but we wanted to go to the Cancer Dietitian uh, today and really talk about cancer and sugar. And so Julie Lanford is joining us this, today on our podcast. Julie, thank you so much uh, for allowing us to stalk you and then for being on our podcast. How are you?
2: Good. I'm very happy to be here. Glad to have um, additional stalkers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, normally people don't, you know, they're like, what? Yo, no, we have. I know, Uh, because Pam has sent me links to some of your articles uh, where you've been referenced and then, of course, uh, your your own podcast. Uh, But golly, we are very, very excited today to have you uh, joining us to talk about sugar and cancer. So let's just start at the basics, Julie, if you don't mind talk to us about sugar.
2: Yeah. So this is, it's a, what I consider like the number one cancer nutrition. I call it a myth (laughs) that sugar feeds cancer. So we'll just bust that right up front. Um, And, you know, it goes around a lot. And when I first started working in oncology, I heard someone ask me this, or I heard someone say it. And I was like, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You know, like, that's not how the body really works. But Surely this is just a phase that someone heard from someone else and it'll, you know, go on its way. People will figure out that's not how it works. And then turns out, you know, 16, 15 years later, it's still coming around. There's always, you know, new people to kind of uh, give the information to. So it, it's what I call sort of a a, a mistruth. Um, you know, I say it's a myth, but of course, there's always elements of truth in, in some of the information. So most people have been told this either by, um, you know, a well-intentioned friend or family member. Um, and I say it's, and even some healthcare professionals who maybe are a little bit misguided around nutrition because a lot of healthcare providers don't get nutrition education. Um, and so they're doing their best, but they don't always know kind of how to figure out the information. Um, So I will say that sometimes this myth actually comes at patients from their healthcare providers. So, you know, when I talk with patients, I often just remind them that all of our cells, including cancer cells um, need sugar in the form of glucose to generate energy. And so, yes, it is true that sugar feeds cancer Um, in its sort of most basic form, because sugar essentially is what provides energy to every cell of our body. So, um, you know, it's how you apply that information that I think can be harmful to a lot of people.
0: I would totally agree. I think, um, you know, one of those things when you break it down, And by breaking it down, of course, we, you know, you're talking about sugars, but, but in this instance, when you break down the basic information, um, I don't know that you can actually avoid all sugars completely. I mean, I, I, I know I can speak personally. I tried one time, I remember reading something and it was, uh, it was a book and it it had that in there. It was like, you should avoid all sugars. And I was like, I'm going to try this. And you quickly find out where sugars are and what they're in. And it's like next to impossible.
2: Right. And, you know, for for the typical person, they hear the word sugar and they think that bowl of sugar oh. <laughs> that you, um, you know, you scoop into your coffee or you put on um, cereal or wherever it is, you know. Uh, and so that's the white sugar, you know, the simple sugar kind of. But most people don't understand that a lot of nutritious foods are built on glucose as the building block. So carbohydrates, all types of carbohydrates are essentially, you know, built on glucose and other types of carbohydrates and sugars. And so I think in this, when people are told this, if they kind of go to that extreme, it's, I consider it harmful to be that restrictive with, with your diet can be harmful. Um, Not just to your body because you might not get as much of a variety of foods as you actually need, but also just in your overall relationship with food and kind of mental health and overall well-being, um, having very restrictive eating patterns is usually not something that that we would recommend for improved health and well-being. Even you know, there's certainly some cases where people do have to be a little bit
0: mm,
2: more strategic. Maybe we <laughs> could say about what they eat. Um, and when we talk about sugar, a lot of times you know diabetics kind of come up in terms of, well, but I need to manage my blood sugars, even when we're talking about, you know, diabetes management, we don't completely restrict sugar, we just help people figure out how they can have it in moderation, and in ways that are still health promoting, Um, so yeah, I I think that that differentiation between simple sugars, which is what typically people think of when they hear the word sugar versus um, complex carbohydrates, which also is a source of glucose, um, because some people will go even, you know, maybe they try to eliminate simple sugars, which there are a lot of delicious, amazing foods that have simple sugars. And I don't think that you necessarily have to cut them out all of the time. Okay, we. I maybe we can all agree, <laughs> moderation and <Definitely>. having yeah, <laughs> having your delicious you know, foods is is a okay by pretty much anyone's standards. However, um, some people will hear this myth and even go as far as completely eliminating carbohydrates in general. Or people who maybe have heard of the keto diet are completely eliminating things like fruit and things like whole grains and things like beans or starchy vegetables, which all are great sources of complex carbohydrates, um, which yes, can be a source of glucose, but I just call it like, when you eat complex carbohydrates or what people might also term, quote, healthy carbs, um, they come packaged with so many great nutrients along with the glucose. And again, glucose isn't bad our cells need glucose in order to function. Um, And so even for people who completely avoid carbohydrates, their body then has to turn around and figure out a way to produce glucose. Um, and, And our bodies are designed to do that because there used to be, or for some people there still are, times of feast and famine. And when we're in times of famine, or if you think about even, you know, during cancer treatment, some people are just not able to eat much at all. Or when you go through a period of being ill and you can't eat, that's kind of a famine. And your body has to produce glucose inside so that it can um, still keep going. And that's a natural process. But we it's hard. You know, It's not easy on the body. It can be a little bit hard. So we don't want to intentionally do that to ourselves yeah. um, is kind of the point.
1: You once used a great analogy of a car and gas. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah. So I actually got this from another oncology dietitian colleague, Angelia Bruce, who works out in um, California and us oncology dietitians, we, (laughs) we, we collaborate a lot because there's kind of a few, there's not a lot of us and we're spread out all over. So we tend to connect a lot. Um, Online. And so she used this analogy that is super helpful. So just thinking about that cells use glucose or sugar, if you want to term it that way, the same way that cars use gasoline. So normal cells use kind of a reasonable amount of gasoline, but cancer cells are essentially gas guzzlers. So they're like the SUVs of, (laughs) of the body. And during cell division, more glucose is used just like a car that's accelerating. So you use a lot more gas when you're accelerating and normal cells divide at varying rates, sometimes once every three days and sometimes once every three months, just depending on the cell of your body. Um, And then after a cell divides, it kind of goes back to its idling state and then using less glucose. So really, um, cancer cells are like cars with the accelerator stuck down, pedal to the metal all the time, using glucose at really high rates because they're dividing cells um, a lot faster than normal cells. And, And usually when people are told, oh, the reason we know sugar feeds cancer is because on your PET scan... Um, they give you this radioactive glucose and then, well, what glows, you know, oh, the cancer cell glows because yeah. of that. It, as if the radioactive glucose is only going to the cancer cell, but that's not true. That glucose is going everywhere in the body. It's just that what glows is the fact that, you know, that accelerator is pressed down and the cancer cells are like burning up the glucose really fast. It's not like the, the cancer cells preferentially pull the glucose only to their location which I think I always imagine that in people's minds they hear sugar feeds cancer they hear their cancer glows they think if I drink a soda or I eat a brownie all of a sudden the glucose or the sugar that I'm eating is just going to beeline straight to the cancer it's going to make it grow but that's not how the body functions we digest it we absorb it it just flows around in our blood going to the places it needs to yes if there is a cancer cell it's going to also receive glucose but the practical piece is cutting glucose completely out of your diet is not going to stop your body from having access to glucose because your body will make it anyway
1: what i'm hearing is every car needs sugar to go yeah or gas to go right yep
0: Yep, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know we, we've talked about this before, Pam. We've talked about how um as a, a newly diagnosed cancer patient or as you're going through treatment, you want they they want to do everything possible they can do, right? To have the best outcome. And and we certainly understand, you know, if any of our listeners have like, well, I've kind of done that or I've subscribed to that, we're not judging, we're not nope. <laughs> we're not coming down hard on you. If anything, we're granting. Hopefully, I think this is safe to say, Julie. We're granting you the uh, the ability to now say, "Okay, I think I can have a little bit of sugar." Um, yeah. You know, one of our dietitians we work with uh, here in town and work very close with, um, and we've used her for a number of years. Uh, one of her statements she always says is, every, "Everything in moderation, or anything in moderation," and. She does not come across. We always make the typical dietary joke, right? Like, oh, I hope they don't see what's on the menu, or
2: we know all the jokes. Yeah. Us dietitian,
0: yeah, you've been there, done that, right? You know, exactly.
2: No one, one wants to eat dessert. around us, and no one saves the donuts for us.
0: That's right. <laughs> don't, don't order dessert because the dietitian's here. You know, and, and that's not the case. You know that I think you guys have, are doing a great job of, of breaking through that you know, things in moderation or things like that. So I just want our listeners to know as we're going through today, this is this is to help you. And um, it, it's it's to help break down that myth and that barrier. Um, you know, we want you naturally, and we understand doing everything possible and doing the right things. And, and if it sounds plausible, you're probably going to do it much like everyone else. But that's why we have experts to come on and talk about this. And I think that analogy of the car is like the perfect um, analogy of utilizing sugars.
2: Yeah, and, you know, people people just have different um, interests in finding ways to alter their diet. And like you're saying, you know, you don't have to feel bad about it. I think, you know, I'm not, us dietitians, we're not here to like tell everyone they have to all eat the same way. Um, but I think that there's so many things that you have to consider. And for the most part, I've never met anybody who can completely cut out sugar or carbohydrates and, and be sort of a, a well functioning human. <laughs> um, so and I think most people, you know, they're going to figure that out. But certainly, if somebody wants to avoid simple sugars, and somehow they find a way to do it, that they feel good, and they're not feeling like they're missing out on things, then you know, my, I played Frisbee in college and our coach would say, never change a winning game. (laughs) And so that's what I tell people. It's like, if you've, you know, if you've kind of started doing this in a way that works for you, I'm not going to tell you to change it. But what I find is that most people are like grieving the loss (laughs) of, you know, their favorite food or whatever. And I, I say, you know, life is not worth living if I can't have a brownie. Like there's just a piece of um, why are we doing this, you know, that you have to balance out. So, yeah, it's it's not, you know, it doesn't sell headlines to say moderation and variety and, well,
0: <laughs> but it's true. I would tell you, Julie, um, we are in Texas and um, we're kind of known for sweet tea. Um, yeah. No, so I think somebody, as you said, you know, life's not worth living without a brownie, unless it's a, especially if it's a corner brownie. I'm just going to throw that out there for all. <laughs> I like the middle. Oh no, the middle corners are the way to go. <laughs> corners are the way to go. Um, but some people may say I can't go without my sweet tea, and I want them to hear you say it's okay. Now, yeah.
2: So I live in the south. I'm in North Carolina.
0: Oh, you're in. There you go. Yep.
2: And, but I didn't grow up here. So I grew up in California until I was 15. And my mom is from Washington state. My dad is from St. Louis. Like is sweet tea was never part of our family culture. And I thought it was like this big special thing to go to like McDonald's and get iced tea, <laughs> <laughs> which was, you know, out there, it's just unsweet tea. And I thought it was this great thing. And we moved to North Carolina and my mom offers my friend, my high school friend, some tea, which of course she thought was sweet tea. (laughs) And my mom made her a cup of hot tea. (laughs) 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 Um, So yeah, having lived here, you know, I've lived here, I don't know, 20 years now. And um, the sweet tea, I just treat it like soda. Um, And people, you know, what I tell them is I would not Well, okay. So I define something as a habit and this is just Julie's sort of common sense guide. If you do something three times a week or more, it's a habit. So is it a good habit or a bad habit? Brushing your teeth is a good habit. (laughs) You know, drinking water is a good habit. Um, Sweet tea or other sweetened beverages, probably not a great habit. Um, So then can we make it less than three times a week? So often I just tell people, if that is your thing, you love it. Find the times where it's really important for you to have it. Oftentimes it's like, you know, maybe not right now, but at the family reunion uh, where it's it's very much just part of the experience or it's your, um, you know, Wednesday night meal that you get. You want sweet tea. Some people, will, you know, they have switched to unsweet tea and then that's something that you can pretty much fit in on a daily basis. But for some people, they're like, if I can't have it sweet, I don't want it at all. So it really depends. I have a coworker actually who she was she was a sweet tea junkie, and so for her, she was like, I'm not gonna learn to like unsweet tea. I'm just not gonna drink sweet tea except on special occasions. And so she kind of um, went that direction. But yeah, it is. There is a way to figure out how to kind of fit these things in. Bacon is another thing I think people have a hard time with. Desserts, they just. It, you know it's not all or nothing but as americans and maybe i don't know as texans like the bigger the better go go out, all out or go home right it's just hard to find the the middle ground and the balance of well okay and you know some weeks it might be more and some weeks it might be less and and i i often encourage my patients to start to like rely a little bit more on their internal cues of how much like maybe they usually drink a big old glass of sweet tea but they don't need a big old glass if they really tasted it and and savored it like you do some other beverages um that it might be that oh maybe a little bit less will satisfy your sweet tooth so I think there's a lot of ways of going around it without having to feel like completely eliminating it is is the only option
1: so if somebody comes to you and says okay I have habit of drinking sweet tea every single day and having a candy bar, what are some simple tricks that they can get out of that habit?
2: Well, usually I would ask them, first of all, do they want to change?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Because that's kind of an honest, if they don't want to, then it's not going (laughs) to happen. And then if they, if they tell me, yeah, you know, I want to change. I would ask them why. So helping to identify like, why is it? And to me, just like, well, because obviously I need to eat a healthier diet. Like that's not the end answer. (laughs) You don't get some kind of award by having some magical healthy diet. Um, The reason, like the reason I work in nutrition is not so I can give people gold stars on their food records. It's because, you know, we believe that, when you eat more nutritiously, you feel better and you have the best chances at good health outcomes. So hopefully these people would then say, well, I want to feel well. I want to, you know, and I want my disease risk to, you know, be as best as I can make it. And so then once we have those goals established, um, then we can start working on, well, well, what do you think would be you know we have a variety of options here in menu of options on how we can cut that back you know would it be smaller portions would it be fewer days a week would it um what is it that how do you feel while you're when you have these like why is it that you feel like you need them mm-hmm. um i think sometimes with sweet tea it's just a habit of well that's what i drink with my dinner <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and so sometimes for some people it's like oh well i'll just drink something different right. a couple of days a week but for some people you know, the candy bar is often a time of day where either they're hungry and they need to maybe make a more nutritious choice that ideally would, they would actually feel better after they ate it. Um, But also, you know, if they're stressed out or um, they're angry or there's some kind of emotional reason that they're turning to this candy bar, if it's after dinner and they're bored or, you know, I don't know. Then we talk about, well, what other behaviors could we do at that moment in time that might better address the need that they have? Um, And it might be that they, they need to move. And so they kind of replace that behavior, but also having people kind of to do a a journal and pay attention to what they're eating, why they're eating it, how it makes them feel um, so that they get, they start having a feedback loop Um, as Americans, you know, we're very busy people. We thrive on efficiency and how much we can get done. (laughs) And therefore we don't really sit down and pay attention to how our food tastes. We're like, I don't even have time to throw a sandwich together. I'm going to drive through the drive-through and then I'm going to be talking to somebody while I shove my face full of food. And there's just a lack of sort of feedback for their body to even tell them, you know, that sure tasted good, but now I don't feel great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so those are, those are just some things that we, we kind of work through and, and talk about, um, especially in the survivorship realm. Now, if people are in treatment and like all they can get down is sweet tea, I'm like, please drink sweet tea. (laughs) So so those are all of the considerations that we have to, I was just
0: about to ask, I was just about to go down that path and, and ask you, I mean, there, there's a distinct difference, right. Between in treatment and out of treatment. Um, especially in treatment well for some especially if they are not able to keep something down
2: right yes
0: you you want some some fuel in their body you're not going to be too picky about what it is
2: right and actually um I was just interviewed for I think health magazines doing an article on on chemo and nutrition and that was kind of you know My one quote is uh, around that piece of if you're in treatment and you're not feeling well or you have mouth sores or like, you know, food is just really difficult to come by. I find a lot of times that those who are maybe more focused on healthy eating don't adequately nourish themselves because they don't allow themselves the freedom to like get the calories however they can and then they don't get enough. And when you don't get enough calories and protein and, you know, it, it just ends up with higher risk of malnutrition and you don't feel well and then your counts are low and then you can't have your treatment and then, you know, it's, it's just this cycle. So for sure in treatment, especially for those people who are having treatment related side effects that um, cause challenges in figuring out what to eat are our, our sort of bottom line. Most important thing is that they would meet their calorie and protein needs Um, However, we can do that. And, you know, it probably depends on the day or the week um, with their treatment regimen that they might be able to eat relatively normal except for their week or, you know, around chemo that they have to drink milkshakes a lot (laughs) just to meet those needs, but you will feel better if you meet your calorie needs. Um, and that's another one of the challenges when people follow really restrictive diets. So say people are done with treatment and they're like, all right, I'm going to get on track and I'm really going to, you know, and they start following something that's really restrictive, the keto diet or, um, you know, any, most diets that people follow are majorly restricting calories. And when you do that, first of all, you just don't feel well, um, you're angry. Everybody kind of knows that all you can think about is all the foods you're not supposed to eat. And on top of it, when you don't get enough calories, your body just like resists exercise because you're like, "What? how am I supposed to do this? I'm not, you know, so the more you restrict your calories, the harder it is for your body to maintain metabolism, the harder it is to get its needs met. And often that, means that you turn over, you lose muscle and you lose, um, you know, the pieces of your body that you actually want to keep around for good health. And so those really restrictive diets are, are counterproductive. Um, and in general, you know, everyone needs to meet calorie needs. Um, now how you meet those needs can be, you know, of course we can all meet calorie needs with milkshakes and brownies, our whole lives that's not healthy right? right um ideally we're meeting our calorie needs with the most nutritious foods that we like or can tolerate that's kind of the the bigger picture from the
1: oncology dietitian standpoint sure what is the average calorie needs for a person
2: um it really depends it's going to depend on you know of course height and weight we always use but also in terms of cancer it's going to depend on what is the metabolism of their cancer, like is their cancer status or their treatment status causing a lot more needs. Um, for oncology dietitians, we do end up working a lot with head and neck cancer patients because they will often be on tube feedings. And for whatever reason, head and neck cancer tends to also be sort of a more hypermetabolic type of cancer. And so their calorie needs can be really high. Um, And then, but then other people, you know, we have seen with breast cancer patients in treatment who tend to gain weight. And, you know, it's hard to know why that is. Is it because their lifestyle changed? Is it because the medications themselves, you know, is it because they were forced into menopause? Like there's so many things. All we know is, oh, look, we see this trend. Nobody knows why. And it's frustrating for the breast cancer patients because oftentimes then their doctors are like, well, we can't have this happening. But But it's like, but is there anything we can do about it aside from, Hey, let's be physically active and let's eat really healthy. So it's a complicated question as dietitians, we can calculate, you know, we can do our best at estimating, but once we do an estimate, we still basically will continue to monitor someone's weight and how they feel Mm -hmm. to determine if our estimate was low or high. Um, So it's really just a best guess Uh, for, you know, for food, like nutrition labels, of course, everyone's heard 2000 calorie diet. Um, and so people would say, well, that's average, but uh, you know, if there's so many factors that that's almost just a, anyone's best guess. <laughs> so
1: what I'm hearing, it's important to get with a dietitian whenever you start treatment and even after treatment to find the perfect calorie intake for you.
2: Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't know that that many people really need to pay attention to the calories. Um, because I think that if you pay attention to when you're hungry and you're eating regularly throughout the day, like your body can help you adjust. Like we don't want anyone skipping meals, um, or things like that, but your body can help you figure out, well, how much should I eat at this particular meal? Um, and then if now, when you for sure want to be seeing a dietitian is if you are doing everything and you're losing weight during treatment, um, that's when you know you might need a little bit of extra help if there's side effects where you just can't eat at all and you want to prevent <laughs> this weight loss or um, that kind of thing and then after treatment i think it is helpful um, to kind of get people on the right page although i don't ever i i won't say never but i rarely give anyone a calorie level that they need to to meet it's really for me i would ask, Like I always offer for my clients who want information. I say, Hey, if you want to, well, I require it. Maybe it's kind of my, my weed out question when somebody wants an appointment (laughs) is okay, great. You know what? I'm going to need you to keep a food record for three to five days and bring it in with you. (laughs) And a lot of people are like, Oh, mind,' (laughs) You know? And that's how you kind of know. Well, I think they can make changes without my help, you know, or, but so for those I can look it over, but I'm not looking it over for calories. I'm really looking it over more for like quality of of diet. If they are somebody who is not getting enough calories and we know that because they're losing weight or they just don't have any energy or that kind of thing, then I might pay a little bit more attention to what I think their calorie needs might be. But for the most part, um, calories, I, I think it's useful from a dietitian standpoint for estimating, especially if we have to do like two feedings or things like that. But a lot of times, I think that people counting calories, it distracts them um, from the, the main purpose of eating, which is to nourish their bodies. And they really need to pay a little bit more attention to how their body's feeling when they eat things and if they feel full and if they feel too full or if they're not full. Those kinds of things, I think, are better ways of figuring out how much to eat rather than some kind of app that tells you at the end of the day, oops, you ate too much. And you're, you're maybe feeling like you didn't eat too much. And I don't want those things to override someone's um, just intuitive way of, of kind of knowing what their body needs,
0: right. which
2: is very different, <laughs> you know, for a lot of people, that is a different way to do things. But I will say most people probably know that maybe the way we have been doing things for a long time, isn't exactly working. Um, And we do need to think about things a little differently. And certainly diets, you know, commercialized diets are not helping people.
0: Sure. I would say for sure to all of our listeners, and and you've touched on this two or three times, uh, anyone who's listening and is in treatment and struggling with maintaining calories or maintaining weight and things like that, ask if your treatment facility has a cancer dietitian or has someone that can help you. Um, I know for a fact, you know, um, we, we, Pam and I both came from a location here in town that that has a, a dietitian on staff and they're very lucky to have that. Another facility doesn't. We provide that here at, our, at the Cancer Survivorship Center. So we've got Amarillo covered. Um, but if you're somewhere else and and, and you're struggling with that, ask. That's, that's, that's one thing I want to take away from this. The other question I had for you, Julie, is let's talk if we can about artificial sweeteners. So I'm going to cut out this, but I'm going to make my brownies with, you know, um, Stevia or some kind of other sweetened substitute. Can, can you shed some light on that for our folks?
2: Yeah, I actually, um, we do a group at Cancer Services uh, for post-treatment. It's like a four-week series. And last night (laughs) it was our our nutrition topic. And someone asked that same question um, last night, of course. And we, um, so what I always tell people is when things are approved for use in the food supply, you can be pretty confident that they're safe. So, uh, you know, the, the sweeteners that are approved for use Sure, they might be a little different in different countries, but in general if they're approved for use um they're fine to use from a safety standpoint. And you know, me personally, I just use sugar if it's in my coffee or whatever. I don't use the artificial sweeteners because I don't have any problem tolerating sugar. Um, I think for most people, you know, you can choose. So, if somebody is managing blood sugars, um that There can be an advantage to the artificial sweeteners, especially if they love sweet tea, but they don't want it to run their blood sugars through the roof or they um, are, you know, making some baked good and they want to just cut back a little bit so that as they're counting their carbs, it's not counting as much towards it. So I certainly think that there is a use for it. Um, The challenge is that whether you drink sweetened beverages that are made with sugar or made with artificial sweeteners they're both essentially going to teach your taste buds what flavors you like and so we all train our taste buds to like certain things Um, as you know as kids and our families that we grow up in the cultures that we grow up in we're eating certain foods and that's what we we end up liking you can change your taste buds I think a lot of people who have switched from regular soda to diet soda or sweet tea to unsweet tea or cut back on their sodium you know when you first start doing it you're like eh this doesn't taste right and give it a month. And all of a sudden you eat something you used to eat before. And you're like, Whoa, I can't eat that anymore. So you, you can change your taste buds. Um, so I say that, you know, yes, artificial sweeteners have their place, but I don't think that somebody necessarily should be drinking diet sodas all day long. Um, because you're training your taste buds to like that sweet taste and it's hard to enjoy the lovely, you know, maybe more subtle flavors of fruits and vegetables if your taste buds really want super sweet taste. That said, um what I told the the group last night um is, you know, so she was asking specifically about adding it to her coffee. So she's like, "Well, I like to use, you know, whatever Splenda or stevia in my coffee." I get um I do grocery pickup and I think my grocery store randomly was putting some sweeteners that they couldn't sell in my bag. So I got these little cubes of, they were like stevia and monk fruit or something like that. And so I tried it anyway in my coffee. That's the whole point of all of this it Was like, oh, what the, hey, just put a cube in my coffee and see what it tastes like. And it, it was like, eh. That's not my favorite flavor, and so I, it will depend on the person. Um, so what I would say is, if they're putting a teaspoon or a cube of sugar in their in their coffee, it doesn't matter to me what they use. It's how much are they using of it, and how often are they having it. Um, if they can't drink coffee without putting like eight teaspoons, or going to Starbucks and getting the four pumps of you know mocha syrup in there, if you can't drink coffee without all of that sugar, I would say coffee might not be your preferred beverage. Like you don't actually like coffee. <laughs> um, so, and I mean, I'm kind of in that place. I really can't drink coffee unless I put enough milk in it. I can do lattes. So I consider that. All right. That's like a plain coffee. Adding milk is no big deal. But for me, like if I'm going to have a soda, I grew up in the nineties and diet sodas were just my thing. And so my flavor palette. If I'm going to have a soda, I don't. I don't like a sugar sweetened soda. It just doesn't taste good to my taste buds. I like a diet soda, but that doesn't mean I drink a diet soda every day. Um, so to me, it's it it's again down to the moderation. And it's not that I think. I mean, I think artificial sweeteners are perfectly safe. Um, it's more about what are we training our taste buds to like. And I sort of focus more on the side of We should think about more of the things we want to make sure we are eating and putting into our bodies and less about the things that we, quote, shouldn't, you know, put in. Um, Because I think if people did key in a little bit more on what should you have as much as possible, they they don't even want the rest of the stuff because they don't have any room. (laughs) They just don't have room left.
1: (laughs) You mentioned something about simple sugars. Is there one type of simple sugar or is there different types? And they're are all, for
2: us. Yeah, I'm it's a good question. Um, because everybody always asks. So the bottom line is that they're all basically the same chemically. They are, you know, glucose and fructose is what makes sucrose. And those are like two basic uh, I'm holding my hands up on the podcast, no one can see it, but basically these are little sugars, they bind together to make sucrose, and our bodies break them apart in order to digest and absorb them. And so the difference between honey and sugar and agave and maple syrup and brown sugar and sugar in the raw is nothing. There's no difference. It's just like maybe teeny tiny little bit of this or that, you know, brown sugar has a teeny tiny bit of molasses in it. Maple syrup, okay, it comes from the tree. I mean, that's cool, but it's expensive. Um, and then honey is essentially the bees broke the glucose and the fructose apart for you versus white sugar, where your body has to break it apart when it absorbs, but, but essentially by teaspoon, it's the same amount of sugar. Um, so people who say, well, honey and agave are quote, natural sugars. Um, but from a, from your body standpoint, like it doesn't know the difference, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even, you know, I I think, well, what if the bees put a little bit of pollen in your honey and there's some kind of plant nutrient in there? I mean, the amount of honey you're going to eat is not Mm -hmm. enough to matter anyway. So, and things like sugar in the raw is no different from white sugar. It's just a marketing, you know, they packaged it differently. It's larger little granules, but it's all essentially the same. So, um, you know, I use recipes where I'll use honey or maple syrup. I hardly ever use agave syrup because I don't even know if it's popular anymore. People can't buy it. <laughs> but they, they, you know, people go through trends. And the reason we have trends is because somebody wants to make money. And so they spend money making it popular and they'll make claims about why it's so much healthier so that they can get people to divert their sugar money over to their product, which is probably four times as expensive. Um, so, Yeah.
0: You know, one of the things talking about that, uh, from one of the, you, from your podcast that I listened to, um, speaking about claims and labels right there, I, I, it hit me and I remember the way, and I, and the way you phrased it was so good about when you, when you go to the store and you look at a label, you look at a product, pay no attention to what's on the front, right? Yeah. And hundred percent pay uh... attention to the back.
2: Yes, so that's what I say, is uh, they can't lie in the ingredient list or on the Nutrition Facts label because that's a legal document. However, they can definitely, I mean, I don't know if people have taken marketing classes, but uh, it's it's lies, you know. It's, it's uh, coercion to get you to buy their product over the product that is sitting right next to it on the shelf uh, because they want your dollar. And so I just, yeah, I tell people to ignore the claims and the labels on the front because you don't know if they're truthful or not. There's a few claims that are legally, um, you know, regulated, but most of the claims are not legally regulated. So things like, you know, carb control or something like that is it, it, it literally could probably be a bottle of of corn syrup and call carb control because that's not a legal term whatsoever <laughs> so those um you know there are some things like low sugar that is a legal term but it's very relative so yeah ignore all the all the claims or the, the marketing packaging and just flip it over and read the ingredient list and then read the nutrition facts label and hopefully you can kind of figure out oh yeah this is what i'm trying to buy or hmm, maybe i should look at a different one
0: yeah that And that's so important, taking ownership in your diet is reading that label and looking on there, you know, understanding what what the different types of sugars are and, oh, that sugar right there may be called something different, but it is sugar or this is, you know, a higher count than this. And, and that that's important. You know, Pam, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit better about my diet. You know
1: I don't feel so bad if i, I have a quick every now and then right <laughs> i used to hear an oncologist um, tell his patients okay you can have a piece of a, a, a pecan pie only if someone special made it you can't have it every day so yeah. every it's a duration
2: yeah it's like a special occasion i mean during <laughs> i say i just i finally got to the coping with baking phase of the pandemic recently Because I was like, eh, I don't really like to bake that much. And I like to cook other things. But like my kids are always asking for desserts. And I'm like, now, every time they ask for a dessert, I'm like, what'd you make? What are you going to make? And so (laughs) we started making things, which is a nice thing. You know, when you make things yourself, like, or, you know, the pecan pie, you know, it's special to you because Mm -hmm. someone made it for you. Or when you make things yourself, you know exactly what goes into it. You put love into it. You were having to stand up in the kitchen while you did it. (laughs) So there's just a lot of, I think when you do things yourself, um, there's a lot of benefits. And I often end up sort of altering recipes to maybe add more nourishment to it. I don't want to alter it to the point where it doesn't taste good. Like that's wrong, (laughs) but you can always add more nutrients and still have something that tastes really good when you, you know, when you do that at home.
1: Right.
0: You know, Pam, I think this has been a very educational, um, and I think, to at least to me personally, a little bit eye-opening uh, when it comes to just sugars in general. And right. I think, you know, it, it, it really kind of, for lack of a better way of describing it, it really brought it down to, uh, Julie, you're so good at bringing it down to kind of an elementary level for people like myself. I'm just going to say me. To, to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you, you're at the coffee shop and you see the honey and you see the sugar and you see the, you know, the 16 packages of pink and blue and yellow. And,
2: and you're like, what do I do? Oh, it's I like, know. why does this have to be so hard? <laughs> and,
0: and, and you feel self judgment, or at least I do, you feel a little self judgmental, like, I, I just want to put some of this in there. <laughs> and there's like 52 different choices. And so we're putting ourselves through unnecessary guilt, mm-hmm. and that's what yes. I like, That's what I like about today's episode.
1: Um, I also think that we need to realize that everything we read isn't true. So
0: another good one as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too that the nice thing is um, our, our survivors who are listening and. They they can relate to being told from their doctor, you know, watch your diet, do this, do that, which, Pam, is why we provide all the things we provide at the survivorship center, guilt-free area. Uh, you know, we 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 come alongside our survivors and, and help them along their journey, whether that's a yoga class, whether that is um, meeting with our dietitian, you know, coming to a healthy cooking class, you know. I know you guys, now, Julie, don't take offense to this, but Whitney is our one of our dietitians that we work with and and she is so, super good at disguising things that you would never, ever even put in a smoothie or in a salad. And I don't know what it is, but it still tastes very good. You guys are are really skilled at hiding things.
2: <laughs> That's what I call a double bonus. Oh. <laughs> it's like if it's a nutritious food, And it's delicious. I mean, every food should be delicious. But if it's like nutritious and you can feel like it's a comfort food, then that's your double bonus food.
0: Ah, I'm gonna have to remember that. I'm gonna have to. (laughs) You know, we provide all these things: these classes, these activities, these challenges. These these uh, work with our our cancer exercise specialist um, to help them along this journey, so that. don't have to do it alone and everybody always throws out right pam they throw this oh no one fights alone no one goes about their own you know battle alone or goes through cancer alone and while we subscribe to that we try to make it little a little more soft around the edges of we're here to help you um you don't have to walk this journey by yourself and so for our listeners especially here in town give us a call at the survivorship center at 806-331-2400 and see how you can get plugged in with one of our classes, activities, programs. We have a ton of stuff online, a lot of of stuff at our website at the number 24survivorship.org. There's probably about 100 plus um, exercise and uh, wellness classes of varying strengths and intensities that you can do. And so I just wanted to, to jump right in there and make sure, again, like this, we're talking about, you know, being able to make some modifications and and, and still feel good and still uh, not, not beat yourself up.
1: Julie, where can people find you at? Yeah, so they can
2: always find me at CancerDietitian.com. And then I have the Cancer Dietitian podcast, which you can find on all your, you know, favorite podcast apps. And I'm on social media, so pretty much everywhere, at Cancer Dietitian, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. All of my cooking classes and webinars are available to anyone, so cancerdietitian.com. You can sign up for updates, and also I have a cancerdietitian.com slash register is where my um, webinar and cooking class registrations are and of course anyone can participate because they're all virtual and then if people want a downloadable kind of handout on this issue around sugar and cancer you can go to cancerdietitian.com sugar and the handout just
1: downloads right there lots of good information out there
0: yes and we encourage and our guys right we encourage our listeners listen to what whitney says or or or, or leslie has here but go to Julie's website. Follow her on social media. Go listen to her podcast. After, of course, you listen to ours. But listen to her. Ally <laughs> pod- <they> will. <laughs> and, and plug in and 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 absorb these um this information. There's a lot of of good information at Julie's stuff. So another plug for Julie.
1: Um, our last segment is Pete's powerful moment. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia, and we would like to hear your powerful moment.
2: Yeah, so I think my powerful moment is um, when I am working with my patients and get to that point of anxiety is lowered and you kind of feel this sense of relief in the room and when people and myself included, remember that you can't do this wrong, (laughs) that feeding yourself, you won't get wrong and that it doesn't take a degree to eat and um, you know, I think that we can all just sort of lower that anxiety around food and just really enjoy it and enjoy the company that
1: you're eating with.
0: Wow. Simple. Very
1: simple, but powerful.
0: And powerful. Yeah. I like that. Pam, you can't do it wrong.
1: That's right. All <laughs> in moderation.
0: That's right. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: This has
2: been super fun. I'm very grateful you invited me
0: on. <laughs> well, I think our listeners, I know I did. Um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm hoping our listeners, I know they did. They learned some things today. Um, at least uh, even if it's a subtle reminder that it, it is okay to have certain things around certain times, um, you know, or, or how to go about feeding uh, the body and putting gas in the car and make, keeping it going. And if anything, um, if they only even listen to the first minute, they got the best part out of the way, right? That that sugar and cancer cells, and that's why you now have cancer here or cancer there, is because you ate too much sugar, is not true.
2: Right, not
0: true. Absolutely, we are so uh, glad to have you today to share that because um, we, like like I said at the outset, we are committed to bringing good, um, sound education to our listeners, because we want them to feel empowered and we want them to uh, take, take good care of themselves. And so uh, we appreciate you today. For our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast, share this. This is a great podcast that uh, is for your non-cancer survivor friends, um, as it is for your cancer survivor friends, your caregivers, your loved ones, Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to make sure my 19 year old listens to this because I think it's important. Uh, the six Dr. Peppers a day is maybe not quite, uh, what it needs to be. And he'll probably get mad at me if he ever listens to this episode, but it is true. Right. And if you're speaking truth, that's okay. And so, uh, yeah, most important subscribe, send this podcast to your friends, give us some feedback. It's on iTunes, it's on SoundCloud, and it's on uh, Spotify. Give us some feedback. Send us an email. Hit all the buttons, as we like to say, and join us again next week for another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Talk to you then. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.